Our study tonight on the life of Paul as we're calling it From Darkness to Light. A study on the life of Paul. Again, tonight we're without one of our four ministers. Uh, Kyle should be on his way back from Arkansas now. A uh, week with his family is a great week for him and uh, for the kiddos, and so it's very good that he got to have that. But tonight we're going to be looking again at the life of Paul. In our first study a few weeks back, we, st- we talked about the persecution that Paul took uh, a hand in. And we talked all about what that meant and, and how that shaped the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry. And then the next week we talked about his conversion as we looked at uh, his conversion story in Acts chapter 9. And then the week after that, Last week, last week, I believe mm-hmm. it was last week, we talked about the reception. How Paul, how Saul at that time was received by those after he was saved, after he tried to join up with the disciples and the apostles in Jerusalem, and how that went down in Acts uh, chapter 9. And so tonight we're getting ready to start a whole new discussion. Uh, leads us to our study tonight on the mission that Paul had, the mission. We're going to be talking about his mission work and and his methodology that he had while doing those missions and in and out on some of those different factors. Uh, And so when we think about the mission work of Paul, first of all, how impossible would it be for us to discuss all that needs to be discussed in one session? Uh, and so that, but that's what we're going to try to do. And so we're not going to have necessarily a base text the way that we've had the last three lessons. Uh, you know why? Well, because starting in Acts uh, chapter uh, 10 and, and on there throughout the rest of the book of Acts is talking about Saul and, uh, turning into Paul and then Paul's mission work. So there's no way we could cover uh, that whole section of the book of Acts in in one night. So instead we're going to be going here, going there in the different epistles that he wrote and his thoughts on evangelism, his thoughts on mission work, and his thoughts on soul winning. And there are many, many different things, many different verses, many different passages uh, where Paul talks about just that. And so if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, this is where our last uh, study stopped. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, that is where we learned about uh, Saul trying to join up with the disciples and the apostles. If you look over uh, in the other half of chapter 9, we see the story of Dorcas, and, and we talked about that a few weeks ago in my study. You see Cornelius in chapter 10. We see the vision Peter got. In, in chapter 10, and we continue to see all these uh, things going on in the church, in the early stages of the church with Peter and the rest of the disciples and apostles. But then here in, in chapter 13, at, at the end of chapter 12, we see Barnabas and Saul have been appointed to continue on the work. And so we see here at the beginning of chapter 13, we see Barnabas and Saul 
coming together, Barnabas and Paul coming together for this first missionary journey, and they're going to continue to do that through chapter 14. And we're going to see a bunch of transition in the life of Paul within these first couple of chapters after chapter 13. He's going to have a, you know, a, a division over John Mark, and he's going to say, I want Silas, you choose John Mark, and we'll just do twice the work. And so they do that, and we see that take place over these next chapters. Then from then on, the rest of the book, Luke follows Paul all the way to the end of the book of Acts. But one thing that we notice here early on, before we get into too deep in the book of Acts, is this struggle that Paul runs into. Notice last week we talked about his reception and how hard it was for him to be received and how hard it was for those Jewish Christians to receive him in full communion or or full fellowship as they would Peter or someone else. Why? Because he persecuted the church. Well, this was a problem throughout the rest of his life. This was an issue that plagued him the rest of his life and it was an issue on both ends. You had Jewish Christians who wouldn't accept him wouldn't let him come to that light as we talked about last week. And then you had Jewish people who were mad at him for leaving the Jewish faith. And so Paul was just cursed from day one, and and Jesus said that at the beginning in Acts chapter 9, that he would suffer many things. I will show him all the things that he must suffer, the text says. But here in chapter 13 and, and chapter 14, we see many times where Paul has has been rejected by those who he is trying to reach out to. And it all really hits a final head in chapter 18, if you'll go ahead and turn there. In Acts chapter 18, in verse 5 it says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to him, said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so we see here this fundamental shift that happens right here in Acts chapter 18 where Paul says, I'm no longer going to allow you to keep me in this darkness. I'm no longer going to allow you to stamp out the Word of God, to stamp out the Gospel. So I'll just go on to the Gentiles from now on. So my question for the ministers tonight as we get started is, was this the right move? Was, was, did, 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 did Paul make the right decision here in deciding to leave uh, the Jewish audience and go to uh, particularly a Gentile audience and the, the, the question might be better put how do we know when to make that decision in our own lives to shake the dust off our feet and go elsewhere in our own lives how does that play out and how difficult is it to come to that decision I think one of my first thoughts on this is did, did Paul make the right decision my, a quick answer here, I would say, I think Jesus would say yes. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus speaks to this, when to do this and how to go about doing this. You know, this is a phrase, and to shake the dust off your feet, it's almost like the same phrase that Pilate would use, you know, I wash my hands of this. It's a, I'm removing myself from this area, from this task. I labored here, 
and now I'm moving on because of something. So Christ, I believe, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14, gives us a good understanding of why, to, why, why men should do it, why you know, those who are men and women should do this, and um, when to do it as well. So Matthew 10, verse 14. Uh, well, well, some context first. This is what some might call the little commission. Jesus is sending out his disciples and plus some, and he's showing them what to take with them, how things are going to go. So he's giving them practical advice and wisdom and how to go about this ministry, this campaign they're going on. Now down to verse 14. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. So to me, I think this is the first time I, I, I remember reading this phrase, and at least in the Gospels here, when Jesus says here in Matthew 10, verse 14, to shake the dust off your feet only when they have been denied or rejected. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words. So we, get, we have biblical grounds to move on from a problematic situation. If we're engaged in a study, if we're engaged in just a simple outreach opportunity, and we are being rejected by that. We have biblical grounds to say, you know what, I've done what I could here. I, I, I have said what I could say. I've done what I could do. I need to shake the dust off my feet. I can wash my hands of this. I can move on. But I think we need to give, we need to give uh, credence or whatever to when we should do that. I think Christ gives a good idea there. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words. When you are, when you are being rejected on a personal level, they're talking about people not allowing them to come into their towns, people, houses that are not allowing them to come in. If they will not receive you to, to any degree, they are rejecting you as a person, then you're not going to get very far with the words you have to bring to them. If they, even if they receive you, but they're not heeding your words, so maybe they've let you come into the town, they've let you, you know, mingle with them, but they're giving no credence to what you're having to say at all, then we have an idea that compounding on these two things together, then we can move on. But it's not something we, we check. I don't think this is a mindset we check, we check the boxes off, right? We don't say, okay, well, I tried to say something. They said, no, no, thank you. Okay, I can check the dust off my feet and I can move on. You know what? I knocked on the door and they didn't seem super happy. So I'll, to my, you know, I have a next door neighbor and I went over and they didn't you know, um, let me come to their house right then and there and have a Bible study. So I've done what I could. I'll, I'll shake the dust off my feet and never see that neighbor again. No, we, I think we have to be showing more and more patience as God does to us that this is a last-ditch effort. Only when they have rejected you as a person or give no, they're not listening to anything you're having to say, then and only then is that door even a possibility. It's not a door we want to. We don't want to have to shake the dust off our feet. We want to you know, make our feet as dirty as possible trying to get, it, get down in the trenches and sharing the gospel. So it's not something we should say, Okay, I've been rejected some. They, they didn't like what I said there. They didn't like what I said here. I'm moving on. So I think that's, this is the last, last thing that we have, you know, last-ditch effort to say, okay, I'm going to move on at this moment. I think that's another important thing, too. I'm, the worst rejection I've ever had, and this is, this is laughable in comparison to what Paul's going to... I was door-knocking one time, and a guy was, I was young, and a guy was getting out of his car... And I approached maybe too soon. You know, you have to, you know, if you're door knocking and if someone's getting out of your car, you don't want to come up to the window. <laughs> hey, would you like to talk about Jesus? You know, I don't know. I was like 16. Maybe I did that. I don't know. But uh, I thought I'd given a good space, and he, he opened the door, and he got out, and he just kind of looked at me, and I said, like, hey, I'm from the blah, blah, you know, and I'm here. Um, would you like? And he just said, and just threw his coffee out. And, like, I got coffee on my feet. 
That's the closest I've been to being rejected. Any persecution to where someone was like, I do not want to hear. Would it have been good for me to stay there and keep talking to that man? Would that have done anything for the cause of Christ for me to belabor the gospel, the good news to that man right there? No, that would have only made things worse. So I shook the coffee off my feet and I kept walking to the next door, right? It's as easy as that. But I think it's interesting, and I'll say this and I'll be done. Both times that this happens, Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 18, two things happen. Paul and Barnabas, they shake the dust off their feet. Then the next group they go to, they they were immediately received very well. So I think there's wisdom in that too. But the second thing I found most interesting is they return to those towns. This is not a, okay, I've shook past tense of shake, I don't know. I've taken and I've kicked the dirt off my feet, which means I can forget about that town. I can, I can forget about that household. I never have to speak to that person again. When it's come to a point where we have had to shake the dust off our feet, we have a conversation with, the, with someone we're talking to, I don't, think we, we should, that, I don't think that should mean that door has been shut forever. You know, does that make sense? And I think we should be willing to get our feet dirty, trying to get our feet dirty again to get back into the action of trying to talk about our Savior to them. So is it biblical to shake, your, shake, shake the dirt off your feet and to move on when times are necessary? Absolutely. But it should be the last option we turn to, and it should never mean we, we have rejected them forever. That's not how God works. Uh, you know, uh, to the question that if, it, if the decision uh, was right, I think uh, it is the answer uh, could be found uh, from the nature of the work of spreading the gospel. Uh, we are called to preach the gospel. We are not called to be accepted by people to whom we preach the gospel. So some people would accept us as we preach the gospel. Some people or not. And so regardless of the acceptance of the people, our job is to preach the gospel. So as we have preached the gospel to people, we are free to leave the people unless we, uh, unless the people need us. And these people uh, from whom Paul left were those who didn't except Paul and his companions. So anyway, so uh, the thing that Paul and his opinion, uh, companions did was preaching the gospel. So this is the thing that we need to uh, pay attention to uh, pretty well, I mean, pretty much. I think you know, the thing that we should not forget is that we need to preach the gospel anyway, regardless of uh, whether the people we are preaching would accept us or not. Our job is to preach the gospel. Sometimes we may uh, misunderstand or mistake that it is okay to leave people even before preaching the gospel to them. But Paul never did it. Paul preached the gospel. When the people didn't accept him and his companions, he left them. 
So the thing that we have to do is to preach the gospel. But we would not, uh, we would not be so naive to, to expect all people uh, will accept us as you know, friends or you know, uh, God's workers, I mean ministers. But regardless of their acceptance, the thing that we have to do is to preach the gospel. Absolutely. You know, we, we as ministers have all had times in, in our ministry and, and in our reaching out, you know, Mingu, with, with the Korean ministry. There, there's some individuals, there's, there's some groups of people that simply you're doing more harm than good by attempting to preach the gospel to them in, in, in the fact that if you force the gospel upon them in a manner that they deem as inappropriate or, or in, a, in a manner that they feel as if they're being guilted into it or if they're going through a hard time personally and here you are trying to do whatever the case might be in your own good intentions, I think when you shake the dust off your feet is when you realize me doing something for the gospel here is only doing something worse than it is doing something good. And isn't that hard to hear? I mean, that's why the question is asked tonight. Is, is Paul doing the right thing here? Because the answer for all of us in our hearts and in our heads sometimes is surely Paul should have kept trying, you know? Surely Paul should have kept, you know, putting his head down and just continued on. But look at these instances of what's going on surrounding when he shakes the dust off. Look at chapter 13 and verse 50. 13 and verse 50, it says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Look at what's happening to Paul and Barnabas here. The whole city is raising up against them and, and, and literally, uh, you know, we, we, we might think of it as casting them out on a rail, you know, back in the old days. Casting people, expelling them out from the city. Running them out on a rail. That's what they're doing to Paul and Barnabas here. They don't want them there. They're, they're raising this persecution up against them and so what do they do? They shake the dust off their feet they go to Iconium, and the word continues to be spread. It doesn't do any good to fit that uh, camel through the eye of a needle in this situation. You're not going to get the gospel into people who completely have their heart shut off, completely have their mind shut off. But as Mingu says, that doesn't mean they shouldn't have been there and tried in the first place. Look at chapter 18 again with me as we see what transpires here. In chapter 18 and verse 5, I mean, Silas and, and Paul and, and Timothy are very excited about preaching the gospel. Look at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Wow, what an amazing, happy thing, right? Paul is preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Christ to these people who were supposed to be looking for the Messiah, to these people who were supposed to be ready to receive the Messiah. And look how they respond. Verse 6. 
Then they opposed him and they blasphemed and shook his garments and said to them, and, and, he, and he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Gentiles wouldn't oppose him. Because the Gentiles were receptive to the gospel. Because in those times the Gentiles were looking for a relationship with one God instead of all these pagan gods. And so he went where the soil was fertile. And the gospel spread tenfold because of it. And so when is it time to shake the dust off your feet when you've exhausted all of the resources and you're simply doing more harm than good? And man, that is a hard line to find, isn't it? That's a hard decision to make. But as Jay said, it's not an ultimate decision. There's always a chance. There's always some way that the gospel continue, can continue to impact that person even after we have shaken the dust off our feet. You know, it may be the case that they simply just don't like you. I mean, they just don't like Ben Hogan. I'm not going to listen to that man if he heals somebody. I mean, that guy, that, that could be the case. But then Jay comes along, and they, that's exactly what they've been looking for. Jay says exactly what they've been wanting to hear, what they've been needing to hear. And it shows them exactly what they need to see through the, through the Word. And so but if I hadn't shake the dust off of my feet, they would have not listened to you. You, know, you would have had the chance. So it's a hard discussion, but we see that this was a pivotal moment for Paul. Because remember, back in Acts chapter 9, Jesus prophesied that Paul would be the chosen vessel to the Gentiles. So th these moments in chapter 13 and chapter 18, even though to Paul in his reality that day, that week, that month or whatever, might have been a little bleak, but in actuality it was the plan that Jesus had for his life from the beginning when he called him on the road to Damascus. It was his plan that he would not be received by the Jewish audience. And therefore, he was able to be that chosen vessel to the Gentiles. Now, as we think about Paul's methodology, as we think about uh, the emphasis he had and how he was able to reach all of these souls, how he was able to uh, teach the gospel to the Gentiles and very successfully also to the Jewish audience in a lot of respects, in churches like Rome and Galatia and, and things like that. How he was able to do it, I believe, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If we'll go ahead and turn there, we're going to read a passage and have some thoughts about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. It says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, 
that I may be a partaker of it with you. Guys, when we read this verse and we think about becoming all things to all men, this is something many of us have probably studied, many of us heard lessons in, in different classes on this before. Becoming all things to all men. Thinking about what Paul did in these situations, he says, I made myself with the law for those who are with the law. I made myself without the law for those who are without law. I made myself weak. So for those who are weak, I might win them. All of these instances was for the purpose of winning their soul. So the question I have for us tonight and, and for you listening is, what, how in, in this day and age can we become all things to all men? You know, and a lot of times the struggle is, what, I mean, where's the line here? Because we don't want to, for instance, go to a, a certain area, I'm just becoming all things to all men, you know, but you're in a terrible area, you know, you don't go to a bar to become all things to all men, you know. You don't jeopardize yourself and your own salvation, your own soul, but you do want to become all things to all men. So how in, in our day do we become all things to all men? That's the first question. Um, I think it is, <clears throat> I mean, in a commonsensical level, I think it is uh, very understandable. You know, first we have to be friend of a person to, to preach the gospel to the person. Unless we became... Uh, I mean, unless we become a good friend, he or she would not open mm, his or her to us, uh, I mean, even though we want to uh, tell the truth to the person. So first thing we have to know, what, what we have to do is to develop the relationship with the person so that we can have the chance to, to tell them, tell him or her the truth. Um, so, so becoming a friend of a person is like uh, being like the person. You know, if he is, uh, if he likes fishing, you know, I will go fishing with him. If he likes, you know, watching football, I will watch football with him or her. Or, you know, if he loves to uh, do something, loves to do something, I will try to do something if, unless it is a sin. Unless it is very, you know, time wasting, wasting thing, then I will try to do it with the person so that I can develop the relationship with the person. I think this is a very, very important thing. You know, for for example, if I want to uh, preach, a, I mean, uh, tell tell the truth to an uh, to an American, then I have to understand the American culture, understand uh, the culture in which the person grew up. So I will, uh, then I will uh, be able to figure out which is the best opportunity for me to tell the, tell the person the truth. And so, likewise, if you want to preach the gospel or tell the truth to a Korean, then you need to understand Korean culture because he is not a Christian yet. So you need to be like him or her so that you can figure out the best opportunity for you to 
you know, tell the person the truth. But likewise, you know, we need to uh, be so wise that we should, uh, you know, humble ourselves and open ourselves uh, and make ourselves available for God for the sake of the gospel. So this is, I think, this is a question of our willingness to be used by God for the God of, for the gospel. If we are really willing to sacrifice myself for the gospel, you know, if I insist being myself, regardless of uh, whether the other person likes it or not, I will not have chance to tell him the truth. If even if I tell him the truth, he will not listen because, I mean, I am not behaving as a friend to the person. So the first thing we need to think about is that if we are really willing and if we are sacrificing our emotions, our dignity, our, uh, our whatever, you know, our self-esteem, our, you know, um, just like that, to make ourselves available for the gospel. I think that is really well put, Mingyu. This is really a question of willingness, whether we are willing to meet someone where they are, whether it be an interest, a, a level of understanding, a level of what they're, you know, what they're into, like I said, like an interest, but it's really a, a, a question of willingness. So that was really well put. I think another point we can find from this is in verse 21, what, what Ben was speaking to a second ago, this doesn't mean we meet them where they're at if it's in a wrong point. You know, we, we kind of laugh about it. That doesn't mean you don't go to a bar, but, I, you know, I remember being at Central, Central and having to have discussions with college students saying, you know, well, I'm there to be a light. You know, I, I'm there, I, I'm not drinking, I'm just there to be a light. It's like, okay, really? You know, let's talk more about that. Because look what Paul says in verse 21, is to, to those who are without law, Comma, as without law, as saying to those people that did not live under the law of God, I became as without law, but look what he says after that, though not, not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He didn't abandon being under the law of Christ. He just met them where they are. I think a good example of this is in Acts chapter 17 when he is in Athens. Acts chapter 17, he's about to begin his sermon to them in verse 22. He didn't go into the temples and try to be a light as he was bowing down to Apollo. He didn't go to the temples to try to, to strike up conversation and understanding and meet them where they're at as they're sacrificing meat to idols. But look how he met them in verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. He compliments them. When, face, when facing a crowd that is eaten up with idolatry, they've got more idols than they, than they know what to do with. He's about to kind of point out they have a, you know, a statue to an unknown God. But he uses this common ground and by, starts off by starting his, his sermon practically by saying, I recognize that you are very religious. You are very concerned with honoring and respecting the gods. Well, let me meet you there. 
and let's build off that. And so I think that's where, I, to me, in my mind, that's him becoming weak to those who are weak. He's becoming all things to all men because he's finding that, that surface level common ground. I'm religious, you're religious. Now let's talk about that. Another example is in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. Look how he uses his education here. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. This is before the Jews, but look, look how they listen more in verse 2. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of your fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. He understands his audience. He pulls, he pulls out that Hebrew dialect. He labors on his education status. He's not bragging on it, but he's saying, I am where you are today. That last sentence, being zealous for God just as you all are today. You know, this is becoming all things to all people can sometimes just be a conversation of dialect. I have to watch how I'm speaking sometimes when I'm around certain people. I don't say something grammar-wise incorrect. I struggle with grammar. I don't speak very well at times. And so when I'm speaking to someone who maybe is atheistic and we're having to debate, you know, um, the existence of God, I don't want to throw a grammar mistake in the midst of my theological argument. I'm trying to meet them where they're at. But when I'm talking to somebody else, I'm a little, I, I, don't have to think as, I don't have to think as hard. If I let this word slip or if I slip as in a grammar mistake or if I didn't use the right tense of this or where it may be, sometimes it's just a conversation of dialect or how, how I'm trying to meet them where they're at and show that, okay, we're on the same page here. Now let's find more common ground. Let's show you kind of where I'm going. So I think, I think uh, it's possible to, to become all things to all people without meeting them where they're at on a sinful level or a, a dangerous level. There's a lot of gray area here, right? But just meeting them on surface level. It's finding common ground. It's, it's like Mingu said, it's a question of willingness on our part. And we, we think about what is the purpose for doing this? Well, Paul says it twice. Uh, two different ways in this passage. The first way is that he might win those. So that he might win the weak, he became as those who are weak. He, he, he looks at that weaker brother, and he says, I want that weaker brother to be just as a part of my family of God as the stronger brother, so I'm not going to ever eat meat again if it calls for it. That's what he's talking about there. Romans 14, if you want to look at that. To those who are without law, I'm going to understand their background, their culture, their understanding. And I'm going to do that so that I might win those people who are without law. And so it's, 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 it's the idea of doing what it takes to win them to Christ. That's the first reason. The second reason is for the gospel's sake. He says this, verse 23, Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker of it with you. Why do we reach out to those that we aren't alike? All of these people, uh, from time or another, Paul did not have commonalities with. But he reached out to them that he might win them and that he might fulfill the gospel, the plea for the gospel, that Christ's message, the good news, could be preached. So many times we, we simply aren't thinking about winning souls. 
We don't want to think about it as winning uh, or some kind of competition. Or It's not anything like that. It's about understanding that that person is going to be lost forever if I do not intervene. If I do not show them the gospel. This I do for the gospel's sake, Paul says, that I may be a partaker of it with you. And so as we conclude tonight, kind of have some closing thoughts about the mission of Paul. I want to ask you guys, what are some other thoughts throughout the epistles that made Paul so successful in his mission work? What were some of the qualities that he showed, some of the method that he had in his mission work, in his church planting, and and whatever the case might be, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you mine, give you some time to think about it. But for me... I want to turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here in this same book we've been in for a while. And I want to look at verse 17. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What a powerful verse here. You know, I I tell my evangelism class whenever we have class that your goal is not to baptize this person. What? You know, what? What did you just say? The goal of evangelism, the goal of reaching out, the goal of becoming all things to all men is so that the gospel can be preached. It's God's business whether they get baptized or not. It's God's work whether the fruit comes or not. And to just see that clearer, turn to chapter 3, just a page over for me. Chapter 3 in verse 5, it says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You see, what I think one of the major things that made Paul so successful is he understood his role. He understood his role and he filled it to a perfect capacity in so many respects, right? He understood that he was to plant, that he was to water, and that he would never be the one that brought the increase. And so therefore, he was able to deal with that rejection. You see, if he had the idea that it was up to him to bring the increase, how many times would he have given up when they rejected him? How many times would he have given up after those persecutions he endured? But he realized his role wasn't to bring that increase. His role wasn't to bring that fruit. That's God's business. That's the gospel's business. That's what the good news does, not Paul. That's what he says in chapter 1 and verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, or in other words, to bring the fruit or to bring the increase. He says, but to simply preach the gospel. And in fact, he says, not with wisdom of words. That's the opposite of what we think sometimes we need to do in evangelism. Man, I need to think up some creative way that's going to convince somebody to be baptized. I need to think of some new way that nobody's ever thought of, some new method, some new uh, soul-saving method uh, that's for sale, and it's going to be the greatest thing. But that's not what Paul says here. Not 
with wisdom of words. Because when you try to use the wisdom of your own words, Paul says you're making the cross of Christ of no effect. That's powerful. That's a challenging thought Paul has here. And and to talk about chapter 3 and verse 5 and following. Paul understood that it was just his job to plant and water. It wasn't his job to bring the increase. And that's a challenge for us today, and I believe if we will learn that lesson, it'll make evangelism all the more doable in our world today. What do you see as you look at the life of Paul? What are some final thoughts you have about his, his mission? You know, speaking to that point right there, what our actual job is, not necessarily the baptizing, just the preaching and doing our, and doing our part, I think you're right, that makes it more approachable, more doable on our, you know, on our end. I think about, when I talk about evangelism, I call that the watchman principle from Ezekiel chapter 33. It's not my job to get everybody out of the city, but it is my job to sound the alarm. When I see the judgment coming, when I know there's a judgment coming, when I know people are in, you know, in harm's way, it is my job as the watchman to blow the trumpet, to let them know there is a loving God there's a day of judgment coming. And so how does Paul sound the alarm? One of the things I was going to bring up tonight was how his methodology, Acts chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you, fear, you who fear God, listen. You know, we could look at dozens of examples throughout the New Testament. When Jesus employed this method, and Paul did it everywhere he went, when he would go into a city, the first place he would go to is a synagogue because of the tradition of a guest speaker right there. And what the tradition was, as they're having a synagogue time, when they're, when they're reading the law, they would read the law, they'd read the prophets, and they would let people make comments, especially if there was an educated guest in their, in their midst. So Paul, seeing that, and Jesus took advantage of this as well, saying, okay, yeah, well, actually, I do have something to say. And he would take that opportunity to preach at that moment. So, so, so very shortly, I want to give Mingu time as well. What I take away from this is we need to be putting ourselves in positions of opportunity. Paul found a little spot. Paul found a method that kept putting him in a, in a position where he had opportunity to talk about Jesus to a large group of people. And I'm not doing my job today to sound the alarm if I'm not looking for ways to sound it. If I'm not engaging intentionally to do more than just my example, but to actually to use words and to preach the gospel. There is a great saying that I think I've preached on. I think a lot of, a lot of good lessons have come from it, but I think it's dangerous to, to, to stop at. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. That's great. I think that's well intended. I think that's our example should and could bring people to Christ, but I believe far too often we use that as a crutch, saying, well, all I'm really intended to do is I just need to be a good example. I need to, I need to bring my Bible to school. I, I need to be a kind person. But we have, to be, we have to be aware of the society we live in. No longer, when we are just kind people, no longer when we, just, when we don't cuss, when we don't, when we don't go to this party, when we don't engage in whatever this might be, People won't necessarily equate that to being a Christian anymore. We're living in a society that doesn't equate good morals to Christianity. Okay? And so I think something I have to realize sometimes is as, as I'm imitating Paul, as he imitates Christ, right? That involves me doing more or being more than just a good example. 
preach the gospel at all times and use words if at any moment possible, right? And so that's a good, and I'll still use that as a good sermon illustration, but I think it's a dangerous trap we put ourselves into if we think that's, that's enough. We have, to be le- we have to be living lives that could bring people to Christ, but we have also have to be engaging those lives, those examples, by discussions, by talking, and by intentionally bringing up Jesus to the people we're around. As we talk about the method, methodology that uh, Paul uh, preached the gospel, uh, so we talked about our willingness, we talked about uh, the need to know uh, people that we are preaching to, and also we have to know ourselves. You know, if we, uh, if, if we are too willing for ourselves, then we can make mistakes. We can be consumed by evil. We can be, you know, uh, victimized by some, you know, uh, cunning people. So we have to know ourselves if we are, I mean, how much we are ready to do, how much we can take uh, risks in preaching the gospel. Sometimes I hear a very, very sad news. Some denomination of people just take risks and go to some war places like Iraq and somewhere like that, thinking that they can save some souls, and they get killed, they get caught, and they do nothing but make some people just sad. So sometimes, you know, Adding to, I mean, above, the will, above our willingness, we have to be wise, you know, to, to understand ourselves. If we can do it, if we can, uh, if we can uh, really take the gospel to the targeted people, you know. Um, so I think that's what Apostle Paul emphasized in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil evil day and having done all to stand firm. Okay, so you know the rest. So we have to train ourselves that we can grow in strength uh, in carrying, I mean, so that we can carry the gospel even to the end of the world, even to the darkest world, even to the most dangerous situations. So, but before we do that, we ourselves, we church, should you know, so should be wise among ourselves that you know, oh, we uh, so that we can figure out who can go some places or who need to. Uh, more 
training or more, you know, growth, more maturity, things like that. So, you know, this tells me another reason why we need the leadership of the church. You know, individually, uh, somebody can be so willing to go anywhere to preach the gospel, but you know, we need to talk to the elders and the leaders that if it is a wise and uh, biblical idea to do that. So I'm afraid I'm making sense, but you know. Um, so we need to know ourselves. We need to look at ourselves also. Absolutely. We think, you know, as we bring this to a close, we, we understand that, that Paul was one of the greatest missionaries of all time. I mean, Paul sets the pattern so many different ways for us to understand how to reach out to those individuals, to, to reach out to our neighbors, to reach out to this community in, in, in Gwinnett County and other surrounding counties. We, we see so much example from the life of Paul. And that's what we try to examine tonight. So how was Paul such a successful mission worker? How was he such a successful soul winner? Well, he understood when he needed to shake the dust off of his feet. He knew when he needed to continue to press on. He knew himself enough to know what he could take. And he knew what others needed to hear. He knew he needed to do whatever it took to become all things to all men so that he might win those for the sake of the gospel. And he understood his role and all the other things that we've talked about tonight. So we've looked at the persecution of Paul, the, the conversion of Paul, the reception of Paul, and tonight we looked at the mission that Paul had. And next week we're going to be studying all the different companions that Paul had along the journey. I'm going to ask Brother Jay to uh, lead us in a closing prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this evening and the time that we had, Lord, to spend in your word. We thank you for the, the blessing it is that, Lord, we live in a a generation where we have such easy access to your wisdom, whether it be on a bound form in our lap or on our phones tonight. Lord, thank you for guiding us, guiding this study, Lord, by the wisdom you've left behind in your word for us, Lord, in the life of Paul. Lord, help us imitate him as he imitated your son and his methodology of missions, his love and passion for souls around him. Lord, I pray a special prayer now for the efforts of our Go and Do program this year as it seeks to fulfill this goal of ours, Lord, to, to reach out and to Show the love that you have for all people and to our communities and those around us. We thank you again for tonight. For all this for your son's name. Amen.